It's the final word presented by the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Wow, what a week, folks. Um, I will talk about the game here in a little bit, but I think it's uh, important to address today's news, um, which is why I waited until now to record this episode of The Final Word. Gamecocks playing Texas A&M tomorrow, 7.30 p.m. kickoff, College Station, SEC Network. Um, Like I said, I'll get to the game in a minute. Uh, So earlier this week, we've been seeing comments in the media from the Board of Trustees from President Robert Caslin um, about the buyout for Will Muschamp, uh, which is $19 million, I guess, $22 million in some instances, uh, depending on, I guess, when a termination would happen. Half the Board of Trustees says, ah, I can't afford it. Half of them say, yeah, they could. Blah, blah, blah. Then stories start to break about Ray Tanner, the Board of Trustees people gauging Brad Edwards' interest in the AD job, which... Uh, from what I hear, would not be the strongest hire you could make. Um, Look like they're trying to scapegoat Ray Tanner. And then today, everybody's safe, apparently, including Will Muschamp. Ray Tanner released a statement that said, I want to make it clear Will Muschamp is the coach now and will be the coach moving forward, and blah, blah. You're not happy with the full-field results. They talked about Will Muschamp and the positive things he does, which all that's accurate. I mean, uh, lost in all this and all the anger about the Gamecocks disappointing. And, and this season, there's no excuse for it. It is disappointing. Um, teams have injuries. Uh, I think by now at this point in year eight, if you're Will Muschamp and you kind of look at the the seasons as they've gone, you've had injuries every year. So you have to compensate for that. Um, I know they're starting a freshman quarterback, but quite frankly, I don't know that his performance has led to losses. Um, you could say Missouri, but again, two of those—I mean, two of those passes that led to touchdowns for Missouri, while their defense should have never been thrown, those plays should have never been called. They've got a serious play-calling issue on offense. And uh, Muschamp hit the nail on the head last week when he said, "You know, we don't have a second pitch." And you don't. And if you notice it. Things are going well. Gamecock offense can play well, but then things start not working because, you know, there's a coach on the other sideline that's adjusting. Um, it's just like a grab bag of plays. Um, but anyway, uh, so today, you know, uh, but besides all that, you know, Will Muschamp, you know, as far as the positives that Ray Tanner put in his statement today, you know, you, you have to separate, like, who Will Muschamp is as a man and a human being and a leader uh, and, and the stuff off the field that they do and, and really on the field with individual player development. Look at the guys in the NFL that were part of not-so-good defenses. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, look at the academic performance of the team. I mean, all those things are positive, and you always want those. And I think that when, when folks are being critical, the tendency is to, you know, call people names and, uh, stuff like that and get all upset and stuff like that. And believe me, it's it's not as bad at South Carolina as it is some other places like Philadelphia professional sports or New York professional sports or Chicago or, or someplace like that. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is Will Muschamp makes $5 million a year and uh, it, it, he's paid that money to not only run a great program and to do all the things I mentioned, but to win football games. It's the Southeastern Conference. You, you, you have to win football games. 
And uh, but the, the statement pointed out the positives, and there are, and, and it's factual. And so I don't want. Yeah, you know, I would encourage people when their criticism criticize the football, you know, criticize the coaching and uh, the staff changes and all that. You know, don't criticize him as a human being. You know, don't call him a bum. Don't call him must chump or whatever. I mean, <clears throat> that's all cute and great for Twitter and whatever, but. You know, as a human being, the guy, he's probably one of the best people that's ever worked at South Carolina. And there have been a lot of great people that have worked at South Carolina that didn't get it done uh, at the end of the day. So I would encourage people to kind of do that. We have enough of that in this world where we just spew venom. Um, And I've been guilty of it at times, too, um, in certain situations. I've gotten older now, and I try not to do that. But, um you know, I would just encourage you as human beings out there to kind of separate, you know, be as critical as you want of his coaching and football and the performance and all that. But I would just try to tone down some of the personal stuff. Same with Ray Tanner. Um, okay, so we go today and then every, they had a board of trustees meeting today and then everybody's safe. <clears throat> President Caslin said to John Weddle from the Big Spur, ah, you know, I 100% back up Ray Tanner's statement. Um, Kaslam was mentioned in the statement. Now, what's interesting about it is that they didn't use the term. They didn't say, Will Muschamp will be our football coach in 2020. So Will Muschamp will be our coach now and moving forward. And then they were asked to clarify. And, of course, it was like the statement speaks for itself. Now, I was checking with some contacts, and I was told, though, that means definitely Muschamp's back. You know, it's not a – not a uh, poorly crafted statement or, or slyly crafted statement, not poorly. Um, I think it is poorly because if he's back for 2020, you need to say that. Because that statement, quite frankly, gives you a little wiggle room. And I was talking to a friend of mine today about it, and you know, they, they're not buying it. They think that you know there's still a chance for a coaching change. And I said, no, nah, this is... I was like, well, well, I've been told not, and you know, but maybe I was told wrong, or maybe things change and people change their mind. We we do have, you know, sixteen days until December first, which is the day after the Clemson game. Maybe they're trying to settle everybody down because there are there is ball to be played, and I think that you know, even though you're four and six and you're an underdog the next two weeks, you know, you want the team to go play its best. Um, we remember the end of the Holtz era. I was thinking about the end of the Holtz era. Uh, compared to the end of the Spurrier era after Sean Elliott took over. Um, and and you can use those two things as a case study if you're thinking there's still going to be a change made. More on that in a second. Um, the end of the Holtz era was a dumpster fire. You know, they beat Arkansas and got to be bowl eligible, and they went to Florida and uh, played Zook, and Zook was, getting, Zook was already fired. Um and Florida beat him pretty good, 48-14. That team didn't even try in that game. That's a pretty good football team Holtz had his last year. They just got their butt whipped. Chris Leak was – I think he's still throwing touchdown passes. Um, and then, of course, what happened up at Clemson was an embarrassment to the university, to Clemson, to the state. This is an embarrassment to college football. And uh, and so that, that, that wasn't the right way for things to end, you know. Um, I thought that when Elliott took over, they did lose to the Citadel. That was not obviously not good, but you know they were competitive. Almost knocked off Tennessee. Competitive against a division champion Florida team. 
Only lost to Clemson by five, although it was it was really twelve. But you know, South Carolina scored a late touchdown to cut it. They played in, they're very competitive against the Tigers that year. Put on a nice show. I think that team finished that season the wrong way, or I mean, the right way. And I think that kind of helped lay the groundwork for Muschamp's, you know, Birmingham Bowl team because that was a group of guys that understood not to quit, that balled in when the new staff got there, and you know, really maximized. And um. You know, so so there may be some thinking about that. There may be some thinking about the recruiting class. You know, you know, if you haven't made a decision yet, but you know, you uh, you don't want to put him behind the eight ball or put the program behind the eight ball. If you do retain him, then obviously you don't want to lose guys. You know that have been reading all this stuff in the media, and so it's probably smart to shoot it down. Um, again, I was told no. This means this is not. You know, ambivalent here. This is Muschamp's coming back, so I have to operate under that assumption. Um, when I first read the statement, before I kind of called around and got some clarification, I thought either this is a very, uh, this is the, I guess the uh, the vote of conf, the dreaded vote of confidence, uh, as my good friend Keith Alsep said to me on the phone. Uh, I thought the same thing, the dreaded vote of confidence. Uh, or it's the worst. It's another terribly crafted statement from athletics, which happens sometimes. And I think a lot of people that were jumping on the fire ban- Tanner bandwagon this week, which uh, again, it's not time to make a move there. Uh, you need to figure out football and get it fixed uh, in some way. It's not time to make a move on Ray Tanner. Um, I, I, and I think that you don't make a move right now based on PR gaffes. That's part of it. That needs to improve. I think a lot of people would like for Radius to stand up and, you know, not be as politically correct as he is sometimes. But, you know, right now it's just absolutely I mean, people that were talking about removing him as the AD, people from the board of trustees and you know, the names floated around to replace him. That, that, that's 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 not a functional move. At the University of South Carolina, that's that's a lot like what Auburn did to Tommy Tuberville when they tried to interview Bobby Petrino a couple of years ago. That's just BS, and uh, and it sucks. But um, and, and I'm not saying you know that, that down the road, maybe at the end of the school year, that you know if, if if the new president says I'd be comfortable with another AD, hey, that happens. You have uh, a, a leadership change. Um, you know he deserves. The right to you know bring in his own people to best he sees fit. Right now, I just don't think it's time to do it. You know, and I think it would throw everything in the athletic department into chaos at a time where you basically just have a football problem. You know, and there are other sports left to be played this year. I know some of you don't care about them. Um, I personally am a football, baseball, basketball, men's basketball guy. Uh, you know, congrats to the Gamecock women's soccer team for winning the SEC. But, you know, that's just not something that, you know, I'm going to sit there and rock and roll about, you know, and, and neither are a lot of you. But you don't throw everything into chaos. You don't want it to negatively impact basketball. You don't want it to negatively impact baseball. You don't want everybody, all your coaches walking around wondering, you know, who the new AD is going to be. Are they going to make changes? People walking on eggshells. You know, you got facilities projects you got coming up. I mean, there's just a lot that, that, you know, right now making a symbolic move on Ray Tanner because football is struggling is it's clown college, in my opinion. 
had that happen. I'm not saying that you're a clown if you criticize Ray Tanner because I think there's some things you can criticize him for. I don't think he's above reproach. Um, And so if you're out there and one of these people that really thinks there needs to be a change in AD, I'm not saying you are a clown. I respect your opinion. I know where you are coming from. I am saying that to remove him right now because football is struggling is a clown move. Uh, And there's a difference between those two things. So I hope you guys understand that. Um, You know, so everybody's safe now. You know, I can tell you that, you know, there's nothing that's going to happen to Ray Tanner right now. And apparently nothing's going to happen to Will Muschamp. But, you know, that statement, I thought, well, it's either sly and they're leaving themselves wiggle room or it's a terribly crafted statement. You know, so if the people that are telling me that, you know, no, this is right, Muschamp's definitely coming back. Then this is another terribly crafted statement because I, I think if he's going to be back in 2020, you need to say, Will Muschamp will be our coach in the, the 2020 season. Period. Unless you're setting up some sort of saving face thing or resignation or, you know, whatever. So, you know, we'll see what happens. So, so moving forward here, you know, obviously there's talk about a new offensive coordinator. I don't really have any. I have one name. That's Matt Canada. He's out of coaching now on a beach in North Carolina. Um, you know, I could see it working. I could see it not working. I'm sort of ambivalent about it. I think you could do worse. I think you could do better. Um, you know, we'll see kind of if something evolves there. For what I am told, uh, and this is through sources, contacts, that Matt Canada would want the job as the OC. Uh, but necessarily, you know, that it's not like South Carolina's talked to him or, you know, anything like that. So we'll kind of see what happens, uh, I think, uh, with regards to all that. But, again, the statement today, <clears throat> based on what I've heard from contacts, uh, that's legit. Muschamp's coming back. And so, <clears throat> again, you got to fix a football problem, uh, whether that's with Will Muschamp as your head coach or not, because this team was 4-6 and six this year. I don't want to hear about injuries because I think at some point when your team gets injured all the time, you have to figure out why that's happening. And I was told that they did, and here we go. We got a bunch of injuries again this year. And if you go injury by injury, you can kind of look at it and go, well, this really – how do you explain this and how do you explain that? It's just kind of the whole thing. Um, And I don't know, you know, I I, I didn't – I didn't believe there was injury issues at the University of South Carolina when Steve Spurrier was there, even Lou Holtz. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I know that we've looked at eight years of, of must-champ coaching at Florida and South Carolina, and his teams seem to have a lot of injuries. And uh, I think that you know Tony and I talked about it one week. There's a common denominator. It's the strength coach and the head coach. And I'm not of the belief that the – the strength coach is responsible for injuries. But uh, but I said before this year that, look, if you have another year where injuries are a huge issue, then, you know, you probably need to just change some things up just for the heck of doing it because maybe there's something there you're missing. So I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't, I don't know if they're going to fire the strength coach or not or, or what. You know, I, I just think that there needs to be some – you know, hard look into it, uh, a study, uh, outside experts. Um, and I think they need to talk about it publicly. I think they need to talk about it publicly because 
you know, you're losing a lot of support with your fans. And, you know, people say fans don't matter, and fans do matter. Support matters. You know, you guys are the ones that buy the tickets. You guys are the ones that are going to, you know, rock that lodge seating in the corner of the end zone at Waves Price next year. Uh, and what is it, $15,000 a ticket? <laughs> um, you guys are the ones that, that go and cheer and that, that spend your hard earned money and that, that have made this part of your lives. You know, it's, it's part of our lives. Um, so, yes, fans do matter. Now, I think, I think sometimes fans get out of control and, you know, all that. But if you're listening to this podcast right now, chances are you, you know a lot about the game. This is something you care deeply about. And uh, even beyond money, you, you deserve a return on your emotional investment because it sucks. You know, it, I, when I was a kid, I was right there with you. You know, I, it, it sucks going to church on Sunday morning after your team gets clobbered or loses to a rival and you got to sit there and look at your rival's fans smiling faces. It sucks to get all fired up for a game and spend that emotional energy on it or, or the or the regular energy and go to Columbia or go to wherever um, and tailgate and have fun. And, and all those are great memories and all that, and that's what you should do anyway. And then go to the game and be totally let down. Um, when I was, uh, I was in college at this time, 2001, uh, one of the best tailgates I've ever been to with some of my best friends in the world and uh, our ex-wives at the time. Uh, our ex, not ex-wives at the time, our ex-wives now, but uh, at the time, we were married and uh, we, uh, we're about to be married. We, we married them later. I don't, I don't want you to think I was married in college because I wasn't. I was married shortly thereafter. And... Um, we went to the Florida-South Carolina game in 2001. If you remember, that was when game day came for the very first time. We went out there at 11 a.m. for a 7.30 kickoff. Uh, we set up a gigantic tailgate, had all the food. We had tiki torches going at the tailgate because it, it was, you know, it got dark about 6 o'clock, and it was a little cool. And, man, oh, man, that place was rocking. That was one of the best crowds pregame at williams Bryce Stadium. And then... Of course, Steve Spurrier lit the Gamecocks up, and I think it was 20 after after an early spurt when that stadium was shaking. Um, the uh, you know the, the Gators came back, Rex Grossman and those guys, and it's twenty seven ten at halftime, beat them pretty good, fifty four seventeen. That's disappointing. Now I wouldn't trade that memory for a, for anything. Memory of a lifetime. The fun I had that day, the experiences with my friends, the excitement of seeing game day in Columbia at, at my school for the very first time. I never thought it would happen. Um, you know, the crowd, the pregame, the black, even the blackout. I know opinions are mixed on blackouts. Um, I wouldn't trade that for the world, but I didn't, you know, I, I didn't get a return on my emotional investment that day, and nor the couple hundred bucks I plopped down for the tailgate. And, and so the point in, in telling you that story is that you guys matter, you know, it, it matters, you know, it, it matters to have a return. It matters to the players. It matters to the coaches, especially the assistant coaches who, you know, most of them are on year to year contracts, you know, and yeah, they make good salaries, but you know, there's a difference between making 400 grand a year for 10 years and make it four hundred grand a year for a year, and then you may be out of work for two years, or you may have to take a lower-paying job. I mean, it's 
it, it's the assistance is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, unless you're an unless you're a coordinator these days, and you do be pretty good and have multi year deals and stuff like that. So so now everybody wants a return on their investment, and the return comes with winning. Now, what is winning? I think South Carolina people are very realistic and grounded in terms of winning. I, I think that. You know, everybody knows that Will Muschamp took over a tough situation at South Carolina. I think everybody, you know, that was reasonable for the most part, his first two years, um, respected the job he did. And they were looking to take it, you know, 2018. A lot of people were thinking Carolina could win the East. Uh, And then they didn't. And a lot of that was because the injury bug. You know, the injury bug's been bad. You know, I mean, whether it's been... Sky Moore, and, and I don't know. I think Sky Moore got hurt under the previous staff, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to assign blame for injuries here, but they just happen. You lost Sky Moore for the year, the first year. Um, then you come back, and you know the next year you lose Debo and Bryson Allen Williams and Rico Dowdle all at once, or all within the span of three games, 2017. Yet you win nine games, so you overcame. And then last year was just a matter of the the entire defense was gutted. And then the offense inexplicably goes in the tank at the end of the year. I think adjustments would be uh, a good term to throw when you're talking about that. So, and then so so you get to this year, everybody's healthy, the personnel on defense is better. Because even if you hadn't had the injuries last year on defense, I don't know that that's a great unit or even a good unit. I think it's better than 744 yards against Clemson and not being able to go off the field against Virginia and blowing a lead against Florida with 367 rushing yards. But I, I, I do think without the injuries, it's a more solid situation. So this year you come in and, you know, there's injuries again. Um, and Jake Bentley gets hurt first game. And, um, you know, that first game you should not have lost. And I, I know Jake missed a pass at the end, and that's on him, and he probably wishes he would have completed it. Um, and, and that's on him, but your defense gave up 200-yard drives to a true freshman quarterback and a team that has good personnel but not great. Right out the bat, your defense gives up 200 yards. I mean, how do you do that? How does that happen? Um, and that's inexcusable. You know, you can recover from North Carolina – um, yeah, I don't think anybody expected a recovery against Alabama, but you, know, you got Missouri. Missouri's a team you've beaten three times in a row. You're going out there. Ryan Helinski's played well in his first two starts. Unfortunately, you probably left him in a little too long against Bama. He gets banged up there at the end. He doesn't practice all week, and he can't hit the broadside of a barn. Yet you call RPO after RPO knowing that they are take, they are trying to force you to throw it. And, um, hey, that didn't work. <laughs> he was off. And uh, and then, you know, calling the slant down at the goal line, the, the play that basically won Missouri the game with a 100-yard pick six, that, there's been no more inexcusable play call this season than that. Um, then you rally. You beat Kentucky. You beat Georgia. Florida comes in for a big game. You have them on the ropes, but yet again – Todd Grantham starts making adjustments. The refs, of course, help them out big time, bigly. Um, and I'm going to hang that one on the refs. 
I, I don't I don't know that that was necessarily a coaching deal. You go to Tennessee the next weekend and get completely outcoached in the second half by a staff that is has been struggling for the entire year. Um, turned around their season, you know, but they're not winning games 41-21. You know, last time, I mean, Kentucky 17-13 the other day. Kentucky held them, held them down pretty good. Um, so you come back home, beat Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt has third-string quarterback, but you still beat Vandy. Uh, and then App State comes to town. And of all the different ways I believe South Carolina could have lost to Appalachian State, that was not what I expected. And that's totally 100% coaching. That game against App State was 100% Coaching, you do not continue to run the ball against a loaded box if you cannot run it. You you try to go and the, the idea is to go where they're not. It's about space, space them out. Try to run it that way. Try to do something else. All your receivers start getting hurt. You know there are guys playing that hadn't played, um, and I heard that as a reason well, the Gamecocks lost to App State. Well, Halinski threw for three hundred twenty-five yards. You know, it wasn't wasn't that the passing game wasn't productive. You couldn't run the ball. <laughs> couldn't run the ball. And the run game's done well this year. Couldn't run it. So that's where we're at, folks. And, and, and like I said, does all this add up to a coaching change? No. I mean, obviously it doesn't if they're not going to make one. I mean, right now, I, I get it. Um. But I want to be perfectly clear in telling you that all this crap about, oh, it's a five- or six-year rebuild, or all this crap about, oh, Carolina's historically mediocre, what do they think? This is not that. You know, if we were sitting around and they were seven and five, they finished seven and five, lost to Clemson again pretty badly, Um, you know, lost to Florida Lost to let's say they lost to Georgia, but yeah, they'd beaten the teams they're supposed to beat. You'd say, eh, well, you know, they're still building because seven and five, six and six is sort of that's the that's the lower end of the seasons this program's had for twenty years. This is not the nineteen nineties where a bowl game happened once, and that was a great year. The car, remember the Carquest Bowl? That team was six and five. They had finished seven and five. Won the bowl game. The standards have changed. So, so, so you're not – you can't go back and say historically mediocre and historically this. History is important, folks. But what you don't want to do is erase recent history and use history as an excuse. Recent history is Lou Holtz took this program from 0-11 to back-to-back Outback Bowls. Good. And he slipped because he decided he wanted to go back and run Notre Dame's offense with Corey Jenkins, who – was a really good player, uh, but more of a defensive guy. Dondrell Pinkins the next year, and you had you had trying to move Savelle in. Blake Mitchell saved a game for you, or I'm sorry, Mike, Mike Rath saved a game for you in '04. And um, after '63, '17, you had some coaching changes, but you know it's still you still you know five and seven, five and seven, and then you get back to six and five, and then Spurrier takes to the Independence Bowl, beats Florida and Tennessee for the first time. In 05. And, and that was a good year. The next year at the Liberty Bowl with a win over Clemson. I was at that game. The place was packed with Gamecock fans. Eight and five. Everybody's happy. But as time moved on, 
those seven and five, eight and five seasons became normal. Um, and you start looking at it, and you're like, well, my goodness, South Carolina's been to what? A bowl game 10 out of the last 11 years. That's never happened. And bowl games aren't, you know, reasons to jump up and down and celebrate anymore, but that's the baseline performance of this team, this, this program now. It's not, oh, consistently, you know, bad. It's mediocre. Yeah, because seven and six is mediocre these days. But that's the, that's, that's the bottom and Will Muschamp in his first three years achieved that. And then nine and four was a little bit better. You know, nine and four was a little bit better than seven and six. And so there's absolutely no reason for the bottom to fall out, except for, you know, coaching during the games. And for the life of me, I don't understand what happened. Um, I think I've kind of figured it out about the offense. I think. Brian McClendon likes the RPOs, likes to go fast. I think when you have Jake Bentley out there running it, he's he's a junior last year. Um, And as he went, so did the offense, and he made good reads a lot of the time. Sometimes he didn't. And when he didn't, and when other other teams were able to shut that down, which that's what good defensive coaches do, like Will Muschamp said, there was no second pitch. And and that's just inexcusable at this level that, you, you, you know, hey, look, you go into a game, you know, you got the game plan, you know, teams are going to adjust. And you have to be able to say, well, what if they do this? Well, then we're going to do this. And I just don't know that that's happening. And that's tough when you got a true freshman quarterback that isn't going to be able to get you in and out of the right plays as often as your senior who was hurt. And that's just facts. And that's not – I'm not getting into a Ryan Helensky, Jake Bentley debate here. Uh, as far as who's the better one or whatever and, you know, all that. I'm saying that when you play quarterback, it's more than just going out there and, you know, snapping the ball and chunking it. You know, quarterback has to get you in the right reads, especially in a system that's RPO heavy. Um, And I had some concerns about that uh, when Roper started getting into the RPOs and putting a lot on Jake. And last year, you know, there were some really beautiful offensive games that South Carolina had. But then there were games where they looked terrible. And there were some, you know, like the Kentucky game last year, they lost 24-10. That wasn't really coaching because there were guys wide open down the field. That was drop passes, uh, which is another subject. Uh, but, you know, you, you look at it and it's like, well, you know, you kind of think you're on the right track. But how do you explain last year some of the games where your offense just went away all of a sudden? Well, I think that's adjustments. And I, and I think your quarterback, when when either choice in an RPO is wrong, you have to be able to, as Muschamp says, call it and haul it. You have to design something else or come up with something else. You know, sometimes it's as easy as, hey, we're going to run a draw or a toss sweep. Um, and you look at some of the plays that have worked this year. They work sometimes. They don't. Then they just don't run them anyway. It, it, it's it's maddening as far as that goes. And, and that's coaching. So, so this team is not sitting here at four and six because of injury. This team is not four and six because Ryan Helensky is the quarterback. Okay. That, that's not, you know, Ryan Helensky is not playing as well as Jake Bentley would have. I'll tell you that right now because of the reasons I mentioned. I mean, you'd probably rather have Jake out there because of how your offense is structured. But, you know, until last week when he had a pick six that kind of just got tipped, went off somebody's hands, he hadn't thrown an interception. It's not like he's been out there turning the ball over or, 
any of that, you know. I mean, Helensky's thrown it like 50 and 57 times two out of the last three weeks. So I, you know, I, I, I you could say you're starting a true freshman quarterback, and I do believe it's your disadvantage, but it's more of a you should be six and four type of disadvantage, not you should be four and six and lose to App State at home. At the very least, you should have been five and five. That's nothing against Appalachian State. Nothing. Good football team. But you hold them to 202 yards and one offensive touchdown, you should win that game. You should never have rushed for 21 yards because they're not – App State is not more talented than South Carolina's offense. They don't have an advantage on the line of scrimmage. What they did was they stacked, and Carolina had no answer to Ted Roof stacking the box. Ted Roof, who's you know had some moments of greatness as a D coordinator – National Championship Defensive Coordinator at Auburn under Chiswick. And then he's gotten fired a bunch. So, I mean, I just, uh, you know, used to be the head coach at Duke. So I, um, I think he beat Clemson one time too. But, you know, it, it, that's just, that, that's a coaching mismatch. And, and you're the University of South Carolina. Your offensive coordinator makes a million dollars a year. He makes seven figures. You can't have that. And so that's my point about this season. I mean, I've heard every excuse in the book. Um, you know, I went through and looked at coaches that have around the SEC that have inherited similar situations to Muschamp. None of them had a losing season in year four. Some of them bottomed out in year five, Brett Bielema, Butch Jones, and got fired because of it. But none of them bottomed out in year four. Uh, Will Muschamp was the exception. Uh, he did get fired at the end of year four at Florida, but still, he improved Florida by two wins in year four. Year three was his bad year there. And uh, if a game against Idaho or somebody hadn't gotten canceled, they'd probably he'd, he'd won seven. There'd have been three games, you know. And there were these bizarre losses to LSU and Carolina. Say, so you know, probably could have won nine. Um. But, you know, he had the worst year of any of these fourth-year guys. I mean, Butch Jones won nine games his fourth year, lost to South Carolina. It cost him the division, lost to Carolina and Vandy, but he went nine and four. That was his Tennessee's best record in ten years. Got fired the next year. Brett Bielema, third straight bowl for the Hawks, got fired the next year, though, because they went one and seven. So the, the, the dip – and these other programs has appeared to take place in year five. What concerns me with South Carolina is you look at the better players on this team, most of them are seniors. DJ Wanham, senior. Javon Kinlaw is a senior. Donnell Stanley is a senior. Rico Dowdle is a senior. Tavian Feaster is a senior. Brian Edwards is a senior. A lot of seniors. Um, so those guys are going to have to be replaced uh, next year. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that they can't. I think players on this roster have talent and can get better. And overall, the talent level is much better. But, you know, that's tough. I, I do think that if they can find some depth on the interior of the defensive line, you know, you've got a pretty good defense coming back next year. Uh, the secondary guys will be older. You, you have – Aaron Sterling back. You have Rick Sandage and Zach Pickens. Ernest Jones will be back. Sherrod Green's played well this year. He'll be back. Jamar Brown will be in his second year. You know, McQuamu and Horn and Jamie Robinson will be back. You lose JT eBay. 
Um, offense is good. I think you got to find some receivers. Pray Shaw Smith comes back. Pray Xavier Leggett takes a step. Um, I think Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick, if you combine them with Marshawn Lloyd, uh, the Amos kid that committed and – you know, whoever they can go get from grad transfer market, you know, you think maybe that would be a, a decent rotation. I think Lloyd will be really good. Uh, I think Harris and Fenwick are kind of a good complement uh, to him because they're kind of bigger bruising guys, and then Lloyd is kind of the – he's not small. He's just shorter and more compact and take-it-to-the-house type. You know, so so there's a chance. You know, quarterback, you have Holinsky coming back. Joyner presumably is coming back. Uh, Luke Doty's coming in. Jake Bentley, I do not think will be back, but that has not been decided uh, officially yet. Offensive line, a lot of good young players all coming back, though you do lose Donnell Stanley and you have to find an answer at center. Um, but, you know, you do lose some, some players that have played a lot of football. And sometimes when you have that and you have guys that don't step up or don't make – it's just the, the margin for error is so small um, that it hurts you. And then – what if you have injuries again? Because the guys behind the guys we're all talking about needing to step up for Carolina to have a good year. You know, they're green. They're green like leprechauns and shamrocks. So I don't know what's going to – I mean, I, you know, I'm not – I look at the schedule next season. I see an opportunity for a great start. The schedule's backloaded. November, you play Georgia, LSU, and Clemson. <laughs> That's a hell of a November but between, you know, you do have some – I mean, you know, whenever the Vandy and Kentucky games are on the road and you get Missouri and Tennessee and Georgia and Texas A&M all coming to Columbia, that schedule sets up a little bit better. And it sets up better for the fans too because there are a lot of good home games. Um, but it starts out with like Coastal and East Carolina next season. So I, I think that uh, there is an opportunity – to kind of get this thing back on track, it's just it's going to take a lot. And, and what I've said is the whole time, if they finish 4-8, which you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Miracles happen every day. I've seen teams that were dead in the water. I think Virginia Tech comes to mind last year. Virginia Tech uh, had a game canceled. And so Tech's going to go, and, and they're 4-6, and six, and they're like, okay, well, they're playing Virginia Pretty good football team in Virginia. They're in-state rival. And, um, you know, they're like, okay, if they beat Virginia, then um, then uh, they'll schedule the game the next week and get bowl eligible. <laughs> and so I'm watching that game. I think it was like the, they did it the Friday before Thanksgiving, and I'm watching it. And Virginia, boy, Virginia had them beat. They, they had them, I think they had them – they were down 10, and Virginia had the ball – all of a sudden, untimely turnover. Tech gets it back, makes some big plays. Tech ends up winning the game after half their fans had left the stadium. And Virginia fans had kind of started to take over. It was it was awful. It was also like Virginia Tech's 15th win in a row over UVA. I was like, man, I'd hate to be a Virginia fan right now. Um, and then they, they scheduled the next game, and they went up and won. Now, obviously, South Carolina has a little bit more daunting – of a task because these two games uh, are already scheduled and, and you're not going to get to go if you beat Texas A&M go schedule a cupcake because Clemson's coming to town um, this Texas A&M game and I promised you I'd talk about the game and I am um, it, you know the matchup I think is tough 
because I think the quarterback that they have, Kellen Mond, is a really good player. Uh, they're not all that great running the ball. Sometimes their offense bogs down. And if Mond's not on, and if South Carolina can play them, quite frankly, you know, kind of as well as they played App State and they, they played Vandy the week before, um, two weeks in a row, defense is playing pretty good. And you take your defense on the road. Carolina plays them well on defense. You know, I think they can stay in the football game. A&M's not really blowing people out, you know, against teams that, you know, they should blow out to the Texas States of the world, you know, and they've had an open week and all that. Um, Mississippi State, they got 49 on. But they're not they're not an explosive type offense. they got great receivers, uh, which is problematic. The best receiving core you've played since, so it's since Tennessee. And you got another one coming in behind them. So the secondary is obviously going to have to play well. Um, but if the Gamecocks can, you know, play above themselves on defense and have a game kind of like they did against Georgia and A&M turns the ball over, yeah, I think Carolina can go in there and win. Kyle Field is a big, gigantic, loud place to play. It's tough. But their teams have gone in there consistently and won over the years. It's, it's a good home field advantage, but it's not – it's not like going to Tiger Stadium and Baton Rouge where dreams go to die or anything like that. So, you know, do I think Carolina will win? No, I'm going to give my prediction later. But looking at it, it would kind of be par for the course for this team after all this crap this week, you know, for the Gamecocks to go in there and, and play their butts off and win a game. Offensively, you know, they got a great defensive coordinator in Mike Elko. John Chavis is not walking through that door, so their defense doesn't doesn't have the holes maybe it once did. They get some guys in the secondary back. You know, again, you're going to have to run the ball. You're, Ryan Olinsky's going to have to make good decisions and be accurate, which I think he's improved on. Um, can't turn it over, that type of thing. Uh, most importantly, they have to get the run game going again. And if they can do that, they can stay in it. I mean, I... I I don't have any doubt in my mind. You know, it, it could be one of these games where, you know, it goes right down to the wire, which, quite frankly, folks, we all could use. <laughs> we all could use a nice, exciting down-to-the-wire football game, you know, um, because if you get drug, then you got two weeks, which is essentially a death march into the game with Clemson. And, and I, I understand why they have an open date before the Clemson game. I get it. But I don't have to like it. I mean, especially with the way the season's gone. Now, had the season not gone this way, if Carolina was sitting at seven and three right now, which they should be, folks, which they should be, um, I think you love it because you're like, okay, take your shot at A and M. That's going to be a good physical game. You got two weeks to rest up, and then you are the best team Clemson has played all year by a mile. And. You go into that one, and you're at home, and Gamecock fans aren't selling their tickets to Clemson fans, and everybody's excited, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know that if Carolina pulls an upset over A&M that you won't turn around the next week, and there will be some enthusiasm and some belief come back about that Clemson game. Um, Because yet again, you know, South Carolina is the best team Clemson's played all year. You know, I mean – I guess it's hard to say they're better than North Carolina since North Carolina beat them in the opener. But, you know, Carolina and North Carolina right now both are four and six. So, you know, North Carolina really wasn't that much better than South Carolina. They had to come back to win. So 
we'll call it Gamecocks and Tar Heels are the two best teams Clemson's played. I think Wake Forest is probably a pretty good team, probably the best team Clemson will play. But anyway, it's on the road. It's at Williams-Brice. You know, you take your chances. But, you know, you go and lose and you get just drug. I mean, it's two weeks of like, oh, God, guess what's coming? And it's two weeks of Gamecock fans. And look, this Clemson thing is a thing with them trying to buy up tickets. Apparently, they were a little salty um, about uh, the Gamecocks getting all those yards last year in a 21-point game. And so they're trying to kind of turn Columbia into a home game for them. Um, And, you know, I don't blame you for selling your tickets if you're a Gamecock fan. Is there something to – I mean, you, you know, a lot of the times you can't even tell who you're selling them to. So it's your tickets. You paid your money for them. You do with it what you want. And this wouldn't be happening if the Gamecocks were 7-3, and three. <laughs> which they should be. So so that, that's the thing. These next two weeks are going to be very, very difficult. And, you know, I, I just think that, it, you know, the best thing that can happen if indeed Will Muschamp is coming back is that, hey, something good happens. You know, if it's beating A&M and playing well against Clemson, it ends 5-7, and seven, you know, at least then there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Hey, they finished off pretty well. It was a bad year, but they got some momentum. You know, two wins would be like the miracle on ice in Lake Placid. Um, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibilities, but, you know, it, it would be, you know, getting to 6-6, six six, snapping a streak against A&M and Clemson, getting to a bowl at that point you're just like this is one of those years that's just impossible to predict um everybody's probably happy for a while and then a couple years from now you look back and go man what might have been that season (laughs) um you know you get boat race both games i don't think there's an appetite to rally behind this program until they not only win games next year but get off to a really good start and beat some teams they shouldn't, and then don't lose to teams that you shouldn't. And, and it, so, so I've said from the beginning that if you retain Wilmot's champ this year after a 4-8 and eight record, there are many paths forward, and there are, and I believe that. I'm, I'm always the type that's going to tell you how things can possibly work out. Now, I'm going to give you a percentage of likeliness. And I'm going to tell you that if in my gut I feel like it'll work out or not. But, you know, there's all kinds of ways how. There's more than one way to skin a cat. That's what my mama always said. She's never skinned a cat. She loves cats. She loves animals. So do I. But that's the saying. And I think that if you look at it, you know, there is a path. You know, even if you go four and eight, hold on for dear life of this recruiting class, Maybe you'll get some transfers, reshuffle the staff, reshuffle your approach, look into why these guys are getting hurt all the time. Maybe reshuffle your practice deal. I don't know. I'm not saying Muschamp should do that. I'm just saying that maybe that's something they should check into and see if maybe it's something to do with how they practice. I don't know. You have all these GPSs and catapult systems and all the monitors for that, and they really go the extra mile these days uh, for all that stuff. But – Something's going on to where guys get hurt. Something. And it's happened for too long for it just to be a a coincidence or luck or anything like that. So you look into that, you know, get a new offensive coaching, a new offensive coordinator, one that makes sense, you know, one that, you know, 
when has a second pitch, as Will Muschamp likes to say. Um, I think it's got to be a guy, you know, as much as guys like Bobby Bentley, I think, are, that are on the staff that could probably have done a better job. If, if you'd have hired Bobby Bentley as the offensive coordinator when you first got here, you wouldn't have problems on offense is my philosophy on that just because I've seen the guy call plays over the years and, you know, people want to talk about, you know, high school this and high never done it at this level, whatever. Well, you either have it or you don't, okay? And even if you don't, sometimes you can mask it by clever uses of RPOs, as Brian McClendon did. Um, but, you know, I, Chad Morris coached in college one year before he went to Clemson and set records on offense. Gus Malzahn... Uh, was uh, I guess was at Arkansas one year, set records, then went to Tulsa and some other places, and came back to Auburn, and I believe they won the national championship his second year with Cam Newton at quarterback. Um, and he was a high school guy. I mean, you know, there's the high school guys all over the place that do a great job calling plays. They have some pretty innovative offenses, and you know, Bobby's coached at the college level long enough to where I, I don't think it would be a problem. However, uh, Dan Werner, too. You know, you talk about Dan Werner being on staff. There's another guy called a lot of ball plays in the SEC at a high level. Um, but I, I, I just don't think you can go in that direction. Um, and that's nothing against Bentley. I think Bentley's going to get an opportunity, and probably everybody's going to be wondering why <laughs> it never happened here in a couple of years. But uh, – I think you got to go get a guy that's just done it, and then you got to let him do it. I mean, I, you know, Matt Canada is a name I mentioned earlier. He's done it, but he's gotten fired twice, and you know, I don't know. I think his when you look at him schematically and his use of tight ends and motions and shifts and stuff like that, it, it is unique. Um, I do think there'll be personnel for him to work with, but – uh, I can see that working out. Again, it's my job to tell you how things are going to work out. Uh, I don't know that I put a you know, guarantee on it or anything, but, you know, hey, I could see where that would work. And Here's talk about Chad Morris. I don't know. You know, Justin Stepp would be the guy off that staff as a receivers coach that if I were Will Muschamp, I would, I would very much so target. He's a good evaluator and developer of receivers. Um, you know, of course, for, I think he's from Pillion and played at Furman. So, local guy, South Carolina guy. Uh, you know, talk about Chad Morris. Warren Ruggiero is a guy that has been mentioned here on other podcasts. Uh, I think if you want – I think at South Carolina, you, you have to be different. You know, first and foremost, you know, what's the DNA of this program? I.e., I. you know, if you take recruiting and you, you take – the successful years and when have you had success and all this stuff. It's not just a blanket, oh, they had a lot of good players when Marcus Lattimore was there and then they didn't have good players and that was that. No, no, no. Look back through the years when South Carolina's been up, what's been the the secret sauce? Well, they've never had a good team without having a good defense. Um, The best team that was terrible on defense was probably 2014. That team, honestly, was one of Spurrier's best offensive teams. They could have won the, they could have still won the East had they not blown two double-digit leads in the fourth quarter that year. The East was very down, very terrible. That was the second Missouri, or first Missouri, second Missouri SEC East title. Um, but that was probably the best team. I mean, you think back, you know, the, the 1995 team had a really good offense, set some records with Tannehill and 
those guys, but they went four, six, and one because they couldn't play D. I mean, it, it's South Carolina's best teams have had defense. The eighty going back to eighty four team with the fire ants, you know that wasn't a defense that shut everybody out, but it was still a pretty salty defense. Okay, so it starts with defense at South Carolina, and 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 there's good reasons for that because the state puts out defensive linemen. Uh, there's always some linebackers floating around the state. You can always go get guys out of Georgia at that position. The state puts out a lot of good defensive backs. Um, look at the NFL numbers. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty clear. You know, South state of South Carolina. You can find defensive positions in more abundance um, than most of the offensive positions, especially the O-line. You know, there's not always a great running back in the state. You know, there's not always a good quarterback in the state. Uh, receiver is a different story. You can always find receivers. So, so on offense, when has South Carolina been good? And it's when they've been sort of creative. Um, think about this, you know. Uh, the 84 team I mentioned, that was a, a, a veer, kind of a, a, a veer option kind of deal. A pro veer, I guess is what you call it. Um, it was great. You know, people had trouble stopping it. It was a very good offense. Well, then, you know, how about the Todd Ellis and Sterling Sharp years? Well, they ran the run and shoot. St- still had a great defense, but run and shoot. Uh, then you move forward to the the Brad Scott era. You know his good teams had, I guess, what they call the fast break offense, and uh, his better teams had decent defenses. Um, Lou Holtz, you know, first year tried to run Notre Dame's antiquated system. They went zero and eleven. The next year, Skip Holtz ran his spread, which had some early Urban Meyer stuff in it, and hell, that thing went up and down the field enough, not like a juggernaut, but enough. And it was hard to game plan for. Steve Spurrier is always hard to game plan for, no matter what. And he modified things. You know, those Connor Shaw and Steven Garcia's team teams added the inside zone to the the Spurrier fun and gun, and it was this big fun hybrid thing. Now, was it a an offense that routinely put up seventy on people? No, but it was kind of it was different. And it, and quite frankly, you know that offense which GA Mangus still runs. Uh, is different. You know, nobody else has successfully meshed the, the inside zone zone read with the running quarterback with the fun and gun passing system. <laughs> I mean, that thing, if you think about it conceptually, it's pretty good. Um, and so with Warren Ruggiero from Wake Forest, I think what he does is it's different. Uh, there's something like they have a, I guess you would call it a delayed mesh point on the inside zone, and their line is moving. I mean, watch them against Clemson this weekend. Not nah, Clemson may shut them out. They beat them sixty-three to three last year. There's only so much you can do play calling wise. But you know, watch them. I, I think I think this guy's on to something up there. So if you want to, if you hired him and said go at it, you're introducing a new concept to your brethren in the Southeastern Conference. And, you know, look at Gus Malzahn when he brought his offense in. It took everybody a couple years to kind of catch up. You know, you look at Joe Brady and kind of what he's done with LSU's passing system and Ensminger's up there, the grizzled old vet calling plays and stuff. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's something people are going to have to catch up with. You know, the RPO game in general, like what Alabama runs, people are going to have to catch up with it. Um, it it's just one of those things where I, I think sometimes you can, you, can, you can be very problematic on offense 
if you kind of do something a little different, at least for a couple of years. Now, now here's the thing. If Warren Ruggiero comes to South Carolina, does that mean the Gamecocks are going to be scoring in the 60s? And No, that doesn't mean that. Because it never does, not, not in the SEC. But what it does is it makes your offense different enough and enough of a special preparation to where, you know, number one, your kids have fun playing in it because it's different and you move the ball and score points. Uh, and number two, you're not just getting bludgeoned to death like we've seen with some of the offenses that, that Kurt Roper and Brian McClendon have tried to run out there. And those offenses that they've tried to run – are by nature modern style offenses. They're not getting in the I formation and the pro I and you know <laughs> running tall sweeps and, and play action and stuff like that. I mean, they're modern, but they're full of concepts people have sort of all already done. Um, and so that's what I like about Warren Ruggiero. As far as uh, I have no idea if Will Muschamp has talked to any of these people. <laughs> I just I know Matt Canada wants the job if there is a change because there hasn't been anything that's. I mean I believe there there's a likelihood that there will be, but you know I want to sit here and you know before anybody you know uh, before any change is made and just you know call for somebody's head on a stick. Uh, I actually hope Brian McClendon has a great night calling plays tomorrow night and. A great night two weeks from then, and, you know, maybe maybe things will change. But, uh, you know, there is some ball left to be played. So, anyway, this game, uh, you know, I'm going to say South Carolina loses the game. Uh, I think it will be entertaining. We'll all have fun watching it. We'll probably be frustrated afterward, but probably not as frustrated as, you know, the Tennessee game or some other games this year. Uh, I, think, I think A&M finds a way to win it. Uh, the Gamecocks will probably – I could see them getting up early, you know, jumping on them a little bit. Uh, but I think A&M comes back. I think A&M will win the game 26-17, to um, kind of like last year's game. Uh, probably won't flow like that. But remember, last year was 26-16. Gamecocks scored a garbage touchdown late, made it 26-23. But it'll be another game where the Gamecocks cover the spread against the Aggies. Yet they don't win, and um, I think this will be zero and six if they lose against Texas A and M. And what's disheartening about that is, man, I don't, I don't know that if you look at the season to season, you know, Carolina's been that much worse than Texas A and M. They have some years, but you know, not a lot of them. So. We'll see. Anyway, if you're going out to Aggie Land, uh, have fun. Uh, I want to remind you to, uh, if you're in Atlanta, go to Dive Bar in Buckhead on Saturday night for the watch party. Say hi to Zach for me. I'm not going to be there this week, be back in Chicago this week, but uh, please say hi to everyone down at the ATL. Also, uh, check out Nana's Porch, CLT.com for all your catering needs. You're having a, you know, maybe your daughter's getting married, you need somebody to cater it. Uh, you're in the Charlotte area, nanasportclt.com. It's Nana's Porch Catering. It's great. It's delicious. You'll love it. Uh, also, Darlington, folks, go get you some furniture from Flowers Furniture in Darlington, South Carolina. Be sure to check out the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. It's also a 24-7 sports podcast. Mike and I had a great episode this week. We did talk about Ray Tanner a little bit and the Gamecocks. Um, also, 
other sorts of uh, college football morsels for you with myself and Mike Morgan from ESPN and the SEC Network, the former voice of Gamecock Baseball. You can get that on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever, just about anywhere you can get podcasts, you can get that and also get uh, ours right here. Please subscribe, go to the iTunes store and rate I inside the Gamecocks five stars. Once again, my prediction, South Carolina 20, oh, excuse me, Texas A&M 26, South Carolina 17. I do have a gut feeling this game's probably going to be entertaining. I think at this point we all could use an entertaining game. If it's not, I'm sorry. That's why I hate making predictions. But it was sure good talking to you Gamecocks here for this hour. Have a great and safe weekend, everyone. We'll be back next week with more Inside the Gamecocks podcast.